Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. I'm going to be focusing my attention upon, or my talk today, upon two components discussed in these Torah portion uh, and the Haftor, or the, the, the Apostolic writings too. In um, the first topic, we're focusing a bit upon the comparison between Abraham and David in the purchase of the land, not the Haftor portion that was read today. It was actually a different Haftor portion, which was not part of this one. So this week's Torah portion, we'll discuss it a little bit later. And that'll be the first one to talk about. After that, I'll be discussing a little bit of comparison between uh, Ruth, Rebecca, and the one at the well. I have written up here on my little whiteboard, Abraham and David. Now, in Abraham and David, I'm not discussing necessarily the, 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 the deaths per se, although that's really, really important here. I want to focus on one little component on this process. Um, so Alex had brought up the comment regarding the purchase of the land, that this is how it's recorded, how Abraham purchased the land from the Hittites uh, from, from in, in the field for, for, for burying his, his, uh, his wife, Sarah. Well, and there's been long-standing debate and anger and irritation about the whole, this was no negotiation, the price was super high, he paid way too much money for that. Yada, yada, yada. I'm not discussing the actual price, whether it was too much or not enough. That's, that's debatable. I mean, if I was going to buy modern day, a chunk of land that size in, 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 in Hebron, the mountain of Hebron territory in modern day Israel, 400 shekels of silver would be dirt cheap. I mean, that would be the cheapest land you could possibly pay for in the history of mankind, practically, <laughs> if I was going to buy that chunk of land for, for modern day 400 shekels of silver, um, because it would be just obscenely cheap. On the case, at that time in history, you could debate what, whether it's a fair price or not. I'm not going to discuss whether it's a fair price. And that's just how, how, how inflation works. But anyhow, let's move on beyond that. What I want to talk about a little bit regarding this comparison is not so much the Haftor portion we read today, but a different portion we'll read which is the time which David had to buy a chunk of land from somebody. In this case, we're going to jump to 1 Chronicles 21. So we have the story or a comparison how Abraham purchased a chunk of land, but David also buys a chunk of land. And it's not in two, but there are certain similarities between these purchases. Not they're identical. There are definitely differences, but there are some certain similarities we're going to focus on because there are multiple similarities. Um, in this case, let's jump to First Chronicles 21, the read part of this. This is going to be down now, uh, to verse 16 where we're starting. Now, in this instance, give you background on this, this, this part. In First Chronicles 21, uh, David is, was, it, the Bible implies that uh, the devil wanted you know, to kill a bunch of people. But maybe God did. It did be back and forth how you want to word it, your business, in your, your opinion, because it's worded different ways. But anyway, so uh, David chooses to count all of Israel, how many people he has, population, that kind of thing. He's doing a general census. Joab had to argue him, stop doing this. This is bad news. It's dangerous. You don't need to know. But David persisted, of course. God got mad. And God said, okay, give you three choices. 
Tao to die. I'm going to punish you or correct the people of Israel for this. David chose to be in the hands of God. I'd rather have you correct us than anybody else. End it for three days. And then God proceeds to send an angel through to slaughter uh, thousands of people in Israel to mess up the entire count that David had. Um, in, in the midst of this slaughter, the an event takes place toward the tail end of the slaughter and toward the end of the three days as the angel approaches Jerusalem, the city where David lives. So first Chronicles 21, it dropped down to verse 16. Now David raised his eyes and saw the angel of Jehovah standing between the earth and heaven with his sword drawn in his hand, stretched out over Jerusalem. And David and the elders who were covered in sackcloth fell on their faces David said to God, surely I have, I have said to take the count of the people, and I am the one who has sinned and acted wickedly. But these flock, what have they done? Jehovah, my God, let your hand be against me and my father's house, but against your people, there should not be a plague. The angel of Jehovah stood, uh, uh, sorry, told Gad to say to David that David should go up and erect an altar to Jehovah in the threshing floor of Oman the Jebusite. So David went up, as Gad had said, and Jehovah had commanded. Oh, uh, uh, Ornan had been threshing wheat. David approached Onan. Onan looked out and saw David. He came out of the threshing floor and prostrated himself to David with his face to the ground. David said to Ornan, give me the site and threshing floor so that I may build an altar to Jehovah in it. Give it to me for the full price so that the plague will cease for the people. But Arnon said to David, take it for yourself. Let my Lord, the king, do whatever is proper in his eyes. See, I've given it to you. I've given to you the cattle for burnt offerings, the threshing tools for firewood, and the wheat for a meal offering. I've given everything. The king said to Arnon, no, I shall buy it for the full price, for I shall not offer to Yovah that which is yours, nor offer up a free burnt offering. So they gave, gave Ornan for the place gold shekels weighing 600. David then built an altar there to Jehovah. He offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. He called to Jehovah and he pro responded to him with fire from heaven upon the altar of burnt offering. Jehovah then said, said command, to command the angel and he returned his sword to his sheath. At that time when David saw that Jehovah had answered him at the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, he brought offerings there, the tabernacle of Yehovah, which Moses had made in the wilderness, and the, uh, and the, and the, burnt, and the altar burnt offering were, not, were at the high place in Gibeon at that time. But David could not go before to seek God, for he was terrified before the sword of the angel of Yehovah. David said, this is the house of Yehovah, God, and this is the altar, a burnt offering for Israel. That was the first verse of chapter 22 as well. So in there are, there are distinct differences between, obviously, Abraham's purchase of land for Sarah and David's purchase of this land for God. Um, now, in this, in this instance, there is some Jewish tradition here that's still commonly held by most Christians, but not necessarily all. So, I, I can't put too much force on this, but there are certain, certain uh, interpretations regarding this. But there, there is reason to believe this is probably a reasonable assessment. Um, and the, in the tradition in particular, it points out that uh, in this instance, it is commonly believed that that threshing floor that David purchased is most likely the place where David later built God's house. 
as verse 21 to 22 indicates, that that's the location he ended up relocating God's house, the temple that Solomon builds, is at that place. I can't guarantee that's the case. There's not a permanent record of that per se, but it's common to that that's where it was because of the, 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 the location of threshing floors, where they'd be relative to Jerusalem and such. So I'm going to run with the idea that it probably is the, the, the same spot because verse 1 to 22 indicates that is the spot where he put God's house. Um, that's how it implies or his worded. So that's one of the traditions I'm going to be be be, be using a little bit later on. Um, and also the other tradition I want to point out to you, which is again, can't guarantee this, but it's probably the true, is that the moment in which Sarah had died, recorded the first part of our chapter 21, is likely or near the time which uh, uh, um, uh, Isaac was supposedly, or possibly was offered or almost offered. Uh, we don't know for certain that's the case. And it's getting tradition that it probably is, but we don't know. Those two traditions that were just common, but just beware with them. We'll work with me on this. If, if, assuming those are, tr- are true, there's a whole lot in this. If they're not true, it doesn't really matter. There's still, still a whole lot in these two comparisons. So up here, my little board, I'm going to draw a few things here. I'll try to make it legible for those of you online. I know it's kind of hard to read because I'm, I'm doing the small board and you know, big print, right? Um, okay. So in this instance, we have uh, David and Abraham. So in this case, Abraham has a scenario. So Sarah dies. Sarah dead. Now, in this, 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 mind you, I'm recording similarities, not differences. There are a lot of differences. Differences are important, but similarities for the folks a little bit. We'll cover these differences shortly. And uh, in comparison to David's scenario, there's not Sarah dying. A whole bunch of Israelites are dying. So Israel, Israel, dead. Not all of it, but a lot of it. So we have these two scenarios taking place, of course. Now, in the case, obviously, Abraham has to purchase land. Purchase land. And David goes and buys land. Purchase land. This is, their, this is how they're going to respond to the scenario. Now, both men insist on the full price. So Abraham's full price. David has full price. Now, obviously, prices are different. David has 600 shekels of gold. Abraham's 400 shekels of silver. That's like, you know what, 150 times more expensive, <laughs> something like that, on, on David's price. But still, the, the idea is that still they had to pay the full price. Now, in the scenario, what's going on here, both have to argue with the seller. Argue. They both argue. Okay, oops, misspelled that. A R G. U-E. Now, and they're both arguing the sellers trying to negotiate this snare. They're both arguing this to, to, to buy this land because both sellers are saying, no, no, just take it. It's yours. And no, it's not mine. I'm going to pay full price for this. You can't give it to me for free. Not going to happen, right? So they both have this argument with the seller. Uh, they both, of course, they're, they, they both pay, not just anybody, they're both paying Gentiles. So Abraham pays a Gentile for the land, and so does David, Gentile, for the land because a Jebusite is obviously not an Israelite nor is obviously Hittite in Israel, for either David for Jebusite or like, Abraham for Hittite. Um, and they both, of course, have a resting place. This is an interesting part in my mind. So the objective for Abraham is a, is a permanent resting place. Per, P-E-R-M, I mean, I abbreviate, uh, rest for Sarah. And in David's case, it's a permanent, as verse 1 of 22 indicates, resting place for God. Not for Sarah, but still a permanent resting place. So they still go through this 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 this, this process, um, and they, of course they have the similar motives. Now, in Abraham, of course, he is this whole process. He's sad 
and mourning. And in David's case, he's both sad <laughs> and mourning and scared or fear. There's a little bit of mixture of fear there. Mourning because he's pointing out, God, why are you killing Israel for this? I deserve it. He doesn't want Israel to suffer for what's going on here. He'd rather have me suffer. But of course, God says, God, because this whole the deal detail, which happened earlier in chapter 21, or, uh, yeah, of uh, uh, first, first Chronicles. So these are obviously not everything in comparison to Abraham and David's purchase of land, but there's a lot of similarities between these purchases of land. And when I see similarities, I think, okay, God, why are there similarities? It's something that I have to learn from this. I can obviously learn from Abraham's story alone. Okay, you pay full price. You'll be honorable. Make, make it very obvious. I'm not trying to take advantage of anybody. Those are all good principles to learn from, which is great and wonderful. But in this instance, that's the only thing to learn from Abraham's story, nor is it to learn from David's story. David, of course, said, well, David said, why would I offer something to God that doesn't cost me nothing? That's not good. That would not be valuable. Those are basic principles. Those are moral things, right? Moral reasons to say, hey, don't do something. Say, hey, God, look what I offered you, and it costs you nothing. You're lying, right? You'd be lying because it costs you nothing. You offered nothing. I can, I can take those two moral principles, say, okay, I'm good to go. Let's move on. That's fine, but we're going a little deeper than just those two moral principles. So in this instance, we have these these comparisons. I bring these comparisons out for for specific reasons. Uh, first of all, there's there, there there's a spiritual concept being relayed here. If I look at these and say, okay, what what is what am I what am I understanding from these two comparisons? Well, if I compare these two men, obviously they're both they're, they're, they both have a death thing going on here. They both purchased land, which is part of fixing this death problem. And not say they're 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 both dealing with this death scenario. They purchased lands to fix it. They both insist on full price. They argue with Gentiles, great stuff. But what is the ultimate objective of both men? In the case of Abraham, his objective is a permanent resting place for Sarah. Now you say, well, what about David? Well, the angel actually had already stopped. He wanted to save the rest of Israel. That was his objective. But what did he gain out of it? Not only to save Israel, he also gained a permanent resting place for God. We call it, of course, Solomon's temple, the location where his temple went to be. So David had a different objective, was to save people. His goal was to save the rest of Israel. That was his goal. But he got a permanent resting place for God along with saving Israel. In Abraham's case, he wasn't trying to save anybody per se, because obviously Sarah was already dead. But in his case, he still got a permanent resting place for Sarah. And well, I didn't just do Sarah's name very well. And later on, of course, for himself, because Abraham's buried there, Isaac's buried there, Rebecca's buried there, Leah's buried there. Oh, that's space for a lot of people, not just Sarah. Of course, they're all a lot now. Obviously, Rachel wasn't buried there, but the other the others are um, buried there as, as well, along with Sarah. These are different different details going on here. So he doesn't save anybody, but he is a rest place for God, even though David's objective was to save, and it did save. David's thing did stop the angel. Of course, three days already went by, so it's kind of a timing thing also. But the purpose of God was what he gained. So I was going to look at these and say, well, okay, David, you did save Israel. That's good. But the ultimate gain that both men got when they walked away from this story is a permanent resting place, one for Sarah, one for God. So I'd say, okay, what's the objective of the story comparison? That's it. When they both walked away, what did they both get? 
resting places. So now let's go and apply this. If the objective of this story, these two stories, is understand a permanent resting place, let's explore what that means. How would I, then as a person, understand the idea of buying a permanent resting place? I'm going to erase some stuff because it's not relevant to the next part of our discussion. Erase part of it. I'll leave it to Gentile. That's, we'll call it Gentile in a minute because that's important. Um, and we will not take the argument. We'll take the argument to the full... Actually, shoot, she left full price. That matters. Hold on a minute. Uh, we'll call that good enough. So in this instance... Oh, argue, we'll erase argument here too. So in this instance, I have permanent resting place for Sarah, permanent resting for God. Now, if I was to say, okay, if I am an Israelite or a Christian or Judeo-Christian, Judeo-Christian philosophy at all, of any form, any, fl- any flavor, you name it, that's fine. And I'm going to read these stories and compare these two. So, okay, he, Abraham got the permanent resting place for Sarah, of course, himself, Isaac, Rebecca, and Leah. And David gets a permanent resting place for God. Permanent resting place. What is that? What's a permanent resting place? Is it just a grave? Well, God isn't dead. They can't apply to him. And God doesn't stay in one spot very long. That's true too. He tends to move around a bit, as Isaac points out. But if I think of a permanent resting place, me personally, you ever hear those, those, see those, those old cartoons, but RIP, rest in peace, you know, on, on, on tombstones? You probably saw those, like, you know, well, my kids haven't, but other people have seen cartoons that way on TV and such. The idea is rest in peace, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some say I told you I was sick. <laughs> Good joke. Anyway, <laughs> um, so so they have these permanent space. I think permanent resting place as dead. I don't know about you, but I do. I think of permanent resting place is dead. I'm not. Gonna, it's not. It's permanent. It's not like it's temporary. It's it's dead. I'm I'm dead. Right. That's the permanent resting place. So permanent space for Sarah, dead. Totally makes sense. Person for God, not dead. Totally does not make sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. God doesn't stay there for long either. So God is not permanent at all. But if I think for a minute, wait a minute, what's the difference between a physical death versus a spiritual life? Okay. Now these are make more, make more sense. You see, person for Sarah, so she's dead. We get that. She's dead. Person for God, that's not dead. What is our Judeo Christian philosophies of all different flavors you can name them? What's the goal? The goal is to live with heaven, in heaven with God, to be with God, wherever heaven is. You'd argue heaven down here. But the everlasting life, that's the idea. So we think a permanent resting place for God. We think, well, it's his temple, it's his house, it's heaven, it's, it's spiritual, right? That's it, a spiritual permanent resting place. That's what we should think of as, as God's permanent resting place. It isn't death, it's life. So in this instance, Abraham and David are both going through the same sequences but they're getting different things. Sarah gets a resting place for her dead body. David gets a resting place for God's spirit. Now, we already know the end of the book. We read the book. We know how Revelations works out. We know the, the prophets turn out. We know how the story ends. It's nothing shocking. But the idea is that this resting place for God isn't death. It's a permanent life. Permanent life. For those who are allowed to go there and live there. We have the idea of you, you have a you know, you know, resurrection, that constant permanent life is over here. So if I was going to go to God and say, hey, God, I'm now with you permanently. Am I permanently flesh and blood? No, I'm permanently a spirit with God. So David goes this process. It's interesting to see these comparisons that in Abraham's case, he's accomplishing death for the body. B-O-D-Y, dead body. 
In the case of David, there's no dead body involved here. Obviously, Israel had been hacked by you know, this angel. For the most part, this is for God. And it's not dead body at all. It's actually a permanent life, not in a physical body, of course, rather in a spiritual body. Spirit, spiritual body. It's still permanent, but instead of a dead body, it's a, a live spirit. That's the idea between these two. So if I'm comparing these two, say, okay, well, all right, so I get this. I see, okay, there's a comparison. There's a, a, a you know, life. Okay, God, that's great. Great place to rest. Sarah, okay, she dies. All right, then that's a good place for her to rest. They go the same process, but what's the point of it? Why would God or why would I care that these two, that there's so much effort was spent to make them very similar in the description? Why do I care? Why does it matter? Would God bother this effort to put any of this in here? Because it doesn't make a difference, right? Well, actually, it kind of does. I'll raise some of this and write up a few more details here. If I'm going to compare these two, there's certain aspects we have to understand the concept of being, being relayed. I erase some of this stuff. So I erase this upper section here for this part, I erase over here for David's side. So we're back to Abraham and David. I'm leaving the, the term Gentile as well as permanent rest for Sarah, permanent rest for God, and life and dead body kind of combo therapy spirit. In Abraham and David's case, so if I say, okay, God, my objective in my existence of a human being is to be over here where David accomplished with the whole life, spirit, forever, permanent rest with God. That's my objective as a person. I'm flesh and blood. I'm going to die someday anyway. When I die, I'd rather be on this side where God's at rather than, well, somewhere else <laughs> where God isn't, <laughs> wherever that is. I'd rather be over here. I'm going to die anyway. I can't stop that. Well, if I'm going to die anyway, I want to choose over here where I end. I'm going to be over David's side. As opposed to, you know, in a, in, in a cave where Sarah's at. No offense to Sarah, but I'd rather not be in a cave. Uh, that's not my thing. So, and we have Abraham and Sarah, but the procedures they go through is actually relevant. Obviously, you have death and the sadness and all this great stuff and terrible things. But there are behaviors that I can match or spot from this. Since my goal is to strive for a permanent resting place with God, I want to be on David's side. Not, not if it's Abraham, but my goal is the, the accomplishment that David got, the end goal. I want that. I get life. God has put a resting place where life spirit lives. I want to hang out there too. I want that side. That's what my goal is. But they both men go through the same process and how to get there. Both men had to pay full price. Both, of course, sad and mourning. They both argue as if they also have a permanent ownership of this, this, this detail and its resting places and purchasing land. So, all the same principles are the same between both men. But in this instance, there's a few details I want to add up to or, or, or point out to it. Uh, in the case of Sarah, in the case of David, sorry, Sarah's death and David's, you know, the killing of Israel, if the tradition is even remotely close to true that Abraham's offering or potential offering of Isaac, was the undoing of Sarah. Now, I say that because the reason the tradition shows up is because when Rebecca shows up to Isaac's time and Isaac as, as a wife, his then he's comforted at the loss of his mother. So, again, that's where the tradition comes from, that she must have died relatively recently, as opposed to, well, she's been dead for 20 years. Well, that's really not a comforting, say, 20 years, a long time goes by. As opposed to she just recently died. That's far more heart or hard inside your heart as far as how it hurts. And uh, that, of course, places him you know, roughly about 40 years old. So that's the general tradition is the, the, the nature of the behavior, how it's written, it implies that his potential offering 
was in near or about the time which she died. Now, in Jewish tradition specifically, they narrowed down to a short window that while he was almost being offered, she was dead before he got back. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. Could be. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. It doesn't matter. But that's the, the principles they teach. If that is even close to true, meaning not the timing, but rather her death is somehow associated with Isaac's near-death experience with, with, with Abraham, if I was in Abraham's shoes, how would I feel with the loss of my wife? That my near killing of Isaac took her out. Where's your heart? Where's your emotions? What are you feeling? To me, I call the feeling guilt. <laughs> That's my word for it. You can say something else, but I call it guilt. I would feel guilty. I feel sad. I'd also feel guilty as if I caused it. I, as Abraham, almost killing Isaac, took my wife out. She died from it. Just, just a process of obeying God. Now, I can't say that's necessarily true. Can't say it isn't true. No one knows. But if it was even partially true, even though if it didn't kill her, maybe she was, she was heartbroken and she died years later, a month later, who knows? But is it, if that was even remotely close to partially true, I, as Abraham, would say, I feel guilty. I, need the, I, I Essentially, a heartbreak, use the term loosely, heartbroken, my wife died. Now, she may not have died that moment in time. Maybe she died years later. Either way, this is the impl- implication that Judaism treats it. So, if, if that's true, Abraham would feel guilt or potential guilt, as I would feel guilt, because mind you, he's a man, I'm a man. We have the same emotions. God made us all. We have the same emotions that God has. So, Abraham, if this is partially true or partly true or, or even remotely true, he would have some form of guilt in his sadness in the death of, of Sarah. Hence, would probably spawn even more effort just buy a piece of land. I don't care what the price is, about negotiating it. This is my fault. I feel awful for this. I'm more inclined to just, I don't care if it's $10 million. Just give me the price of land. It's my wife and I'm, I, I killed her kind of thing. That, 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 that guilty you know, emotion. Now, that is an implied scenario. We don't know for certain. In David's case, it quite absolutely states so. He truly is guilty. David's actually guilty for his scenario. He caused it. So both men, potentially Abraham and definitely David, he says she says so, they both have a guilt on their conscience for this scenario, the scenario that's going, that, that they are experiencing or going through. Again, we, don't, we can't guarantee that Abraham, the timing is exact right, but it implies through that when Isaac is, 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 is comforted with Rebecca as a wife, that, that he He's, he's he, he, with, with the loss of his mother, that that is a comforting side. That is to help, that, help him get past this misery he is experiencing. So I'm sure Isaac probably also feels, if not guilt, at least feels sadness, clearly because he wants company. Obviously, he's intensely sad, much like how Abraham is sad with, with burying his wife. So in this instance, we have this, 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 this guilt system. And how, why do we, what, what is the emotion of guilt? What's it stemmed from? I caused something. I, I did it. It's me. Or I didn't do it. It's all me. It's, 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 it's from me. It's not, I don't feel guilty for Joe Schmidt across the street doing something wrong. That's his problem, not mine. I feel guilty when I do something wrong, whether when I did it or didn't do it, whatever it was, whatever I was supposed to do, I didn't do, or what I did do, I wasn't supposed to do. It's guilt from me. So it's caused by the big old me. I'm the guilty one. I'm the one who feels awful. Because I did something that I feel terrible for, whatever it was, whatever happened to have been. Well, this me guilt 
those who are Christians, you kind of know where I'm going here. <laughs> this whole guilt concept, uh, as far as I did something wrong, I have to pay for, reconcile, rectify, fix, address, beg forgiveness. I have to do something to deal with guilt because if, if I don't address my guilt, what happens? It eats me alive. Yeah, exactly. My organs start failing. Exactly. I start having disease and problems. I, my, my body starts failing. Uh, despicable. What's that? Hold on. Hold on. Despicable me. Right. <laughs> the comment on, on the uh, on the uh, uh, the chat bar. Right. The despicable me. I'm the one who caused this. I'm the awful person. Right. That that whole concept, the whole principle being 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 driven into us. That me, that guilt. I'm responsible is a really intense emotion. It really is. Along with shame, they're both but guilt is a very intense emotion. And both men had to solve this emotion. And they go through the process of solving their emotion. Now they're going to get something at the end, but they still have to go through this process. Now, when I, I they have obviously David has some fear and some mourning built into there, all the stuff going on. But this emotion is solved for both men, the process they went through. Abraham paying full price, finding a place for his wife to permanently rest, uh, going through this process of, of negotiation, which is not only negotiating, just saying, hey, just give the land, right? And going through a place to find where I can feel like I've done something to rectify, adjust, fix, or address this problem, to take these emotions, these struggles away that I have, right? That's how we both are addressing the same way. And in Abraham's case, his emotions, his guilt is finally addressed by getting that permanent place for Sarah to rest. In David's case, his emotional guilt are addressed by obviously stopping the angel from killing people, but he also has a permanent rest place for God. Both men then feel the emotions, the guilt, the struggles, the sadness then diminishes or starts going away. That's how they address their sadness. I'm going this process because this discussion here, because this is only part one, by the way. I'll be quick for part two. Discussion because in both instances, the permanent resting place was the final game. So I have a question for you. Don't answer, just think about it for your head. I'm guilty. So are you. So are you. So there's all those on the screen. <laughs> We're all guilty of something, right? Well, I don't care what it is. Don't, 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 fill, don't fill a blanket. Just think about what it is. I'm guilty of something. I have to address the guilt. So, well, Jesus, take it away. Well, yeah, it's great. No, there's more to it than that. <laughs> okay, it's just Jesus taken away. It's more. It's more than that. Um, in both men's case, there's a penalty, for the guilt, and they pay for it. The principle I want to point out here, which is both comparisons, is that guilt, that emotion, that they address. I have to fix this guilt. It costs them something. And the best part was, to me at least. No discounts, full price. What's full price for guilt? In case you're not sure about this, I'll write up here really quick. We call it death. That's full price for guilt. It is. No discounts, no shortcuts, no bypassing. <laughs> coupon code. Yeah, <laughs> find the coupon. <laughs> no discounts for, de- for guilt. It's death. That is how we pay for guilt. A guilt in form of death, for, for sins, transgressions, iniquities. The full price is death. That's what it is. And the point being that both men were given the opportunity to get out of jail free car. Cost you nothing. Make your guilt go away. Cost you nothing. It's free. Both insisted, no, I pay full price. Well, that's profound, actually, to them, for them. That's a profound concept. Both knowing the full price. Now, they're just doing in dollars and cents. The point is that 
the idea that I have guilt, I pay full price for it. I die for it. Now, obviously, they're to pay money. And the principle of our personal guilt is actual death. We don't, you can't bribe God. The point being that the idea of paying full price, you pay full price, and what do you get for that full price? In Sarah's, in Abraham's case, you have a permanent resting place. And in God's case, you have a permanent resting place. The full price, pay full price, what do you get? Your permanent resting place. Is there a shortcut? No. Is there a discount? No. Is there a way around it? No. But both men purchased it from Gentiles. I'm going to bring it to Gentile both sides. What is symbolic of Gentile? The Gentile, we call it the Gentile world, the globe, the ways the world, right? What are they offering? What are the Gentiles offering? Discount. Free. It's free. What costs you nothing? Don't worry about it. Make your guilt go away for nothing. Don't feel guilty. It's free. It's all gone. And what do both men say? No, it's not. You're lying to me. I know my God. It's not free. Gentile world. I will not pay for nothing to Abraham, to, to, to uh, Het, the son of Het, and to the son of the Jebusite from David. No, Gentile. No world. No, make you feel better, make your guilt go away. This is a guilt. I do feel this emotion. There is only one solution. It is a full price to get rest for Abraham, rest for David, permanent place for both men. Make sense? That's the idea. That's how I got into the comparison of these two stories. Now, I'm just discussing, obviously, Abraham and David. How much time do I have? Do you have a clock on you? What time is it? 3.40 our time. So, it's 2.40. So, so 2.40 your time. So, I have a little bit of time for the next, next part two. Does it make sense to anybody? <laughs> Did I lose anybody on this part one? Hopefully, it makes sense. So it makes sense to me when I compare these two men and their stories, what they did, because it makes sense as far as how God is working with them. Any questions so, thus far in part one yes. for Abraham and David? Yes, we have a question. I work all of us. We have to understand that it is, guilt is not a free, get out of guilt free card type of thing. It's a permanent, yeah, take this potion. Gentile would argue, no, I don't want to pay. I want it free. Gentile argues, I don't want to pay. It's free. No, it's not free. Uh, Larry, go ahead. Your question, Larry? Uh, well, just a kind of an alternate thought about it. Um, we were, I was watching a thing. Actually, Monty Judah was pointing out that in those days, that, that was part of the bargaining system was say, no, just take it. But what they didn't, what they, we don't know is that when he said, well, go ahead, I'll give it to you for free. They, when they said that, they could take it back at some point. He said, I decided not to let you have it anymore. It's like lending it to them, essentially. And now, that could be. And even today, what they do is they have, we have listed in our Bible in great detail on both of these transactions exactly what happened and that they did, in fact, pay for it. And the Palestinians today say, these are all just Jewish lies. Well, neither one of these guys were <laughs> Jews. Abraham was right. a, there are Hebrews, uh, and I, uh, David was an Israelite, but Jews didn't even happen until much later when Rome called them Jews. So they, they, they can't yeah. say that this was a Jewish lie. Because technically, there weren't Jews that were, that were saying it. And it's written down in the record that they, in fact, bought that, that property, including the Temple Mount, which is right. the biggest it, thing. Both of them are legally purchased. That's absolutely true. And legally purchased from a, from a Gentile. So it was purchased from a Gentile. The, the, the transactions are, are well recorded in these instances. They are very well recorded. 
there's a few others that are minorly recorded, but not nothing like nothing like these two are. Um, which was it's important to know that, that those those records are actually important. That's how we get some of our storylines, as far as how we get our our information from it. Any comments so far on this part of of the story? Question. One more from Rose. Go ahead, Rose. Uh, uh, it, just a comment, actually. Uh, you know, uh, scripture says that uh, we need two witnesses, and so I yes. see this as a physical witness and a spiritual witness. Is, uh, so I think it's a very good comparison. God always requires two. That's stories. a an excellent point. That's true. You're right. It does. It does. It does. It does result in two witnesses. Now, obviously, there are differences between Abraham and David's story. Also, where are the differences today? I don't have time for that right now. I have something else I want to cover. But yeah, these these two these two men these two stories cover a lot of the same territory. So much better. It's important to know that God spent the time to do that. Um, he recorded details fairly well, so we could have this for our own record. Hey. This is how it's supposed to work. And symbolically speaking, it totally makes logical sense. If I come from a Christian perspective, it makes sense. But from a Jewish perspective, it also makes sense. Both stories, it makes sense for either religious perspective. Um, it's, it's where it, it, God did a really good job comparing these two men. Any questions on this, on this part or comments? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so crazy happens on accident, right? Sure. Because <laughs> everything, the Bible is just an accident of, of random stories, right? We have one um, more okay. comment. So, Daniel? Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, maybe phrase this another way: is that both Abraham and David refused to have a middleman, in the sense that, let's say, Daniel, you gave me twenty dollars, and you tell me specifically, give this twenty dollars to Rose. So I give it to Rose. So who gave her the twenty dollars? Me, because she sees me face to face handing her a twenty dollar bill, or is it you gave her the twenty dollars because you're the one that actually worked a job and obtained that money to give to her? So, you know, they're both haggling with Gentiles or whatever, but, you know, they don't want a middleman. They're pushing the middleman out of the way, so to speak, by saying, no, I'm paying full price, whether it's the 400 shekels or 600 or whatever. They're refusing right, right, to right. have a middleman. They're pushing the middleman out of the way, but the middleman wants to be in there. Like, oh, I'll give it to you for free. The middle, they, they kind of want to be in the mix somehow. And, right. and, Abraham, and Abraham and David are like, no, I'll, I'll pay you full price. This is, some, this is too important for me to not pay full price for it. Which brings it, which brings it, principle, the, the, the same idea is that, okay, so in my case, if I, if I use the Christian perspective or Gentile or Jewish perspective, I have guilt. I, I'm guilty of it. My penalty is death. It, the, the, the lack of a middleman, well, well, isn't Jesus the middleman? No, he's not. <laughs> we'll discuss that in a minute. Um, the lack of a middleman is their objective. Hey, I, this emotion has to be addressed for me, and I have to address it and, and take care of these failings, these shortcomings, or these problems I have. Because I'm going to address them. I'm not going through somebody else to do it. You're absolutely right. The middleman's removed. Now, in this instance, I mentioned you know, tongue in cheek, of course. Well, isn't Jesus my middleman? No, actually, he's not your middleman. Because if he's my middleman, that means I would never die. Poke me, I won't die. Jesus is not that middleman. Now, he's the middleman of the spiritual life death scenario but i still die over here where sarah's at okay this death doesn't stop this is permanent for everybody everybody goes through this whether they like it or not jesus brings us over from sarah's cave so to speak over to god's realm <laughs> so if you're a middleman the death already took place middleman exists here we'll put uh you know yeshua he goes from one side and allows to transfer that dead person over to this side that's the middleman that already exists after you're dead, <laughs> not before you're dead. You have to accept it for you, but once you're dead, is when he addresses it. 
Um, so that, that, that's as far as that middleman is concerned. And that's both men would never see that, story, that part in this particular story. That would happen after the death occurs. Okay, let's uh, erase this because I've got a few minutes to cover part two. I may not get to all of it, but I'm going to really quickly here. Hope this made sense. Any comments or questions? Yes, we have Alex here. Um, just Go ahead, Alex. these two guys named side by side, one parallel. They, they were like the biggest. Abraham, God already told him, hey, you're, you're going you're gonna to have more descendants. You're the father of the nation. And uh, I'm glad he had a humble enough heart to, you know, to feel guilt. And David, same thing. Hey, you're the best king ever, man. You are, you are just the baddest guy there is. But they still, yeah. they still, most people throughout history have taken that and said, Yes, I am God. You know that these two guys managed <laughs> not to. <laughs> these men managed not to. They're so close to God. Even Moses, this is the humblest man ever lived. I'm sure he probably was having that wielding that much power. It's like, and it's still like, hey, I'm I'm not God. Although he did make his his mishap with the whole stone rock striking thing. But that's every every human. These are pretty awesome men. What they went through, what they did, what they withheld. Yeah, David, he screwed up. I get that. Abraham, maybe he screwed up a little bit. You could argue how much. He still screwed up some. They all screw up. Maybe screws up for human, but they're still pretty awesome guys. Great role models to learn, to learn from. Not necessarily to mimic the all behaviors, mind you. <laughs> Not all behaviors, but certain characteristics are good to, good to, good to, good to uh, remember. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, thank you, Father, for being kind to us and showing us what is good and right in the stories you give to us, Father, the examples we have. Those examples are very valuable to us, Father, as we understand the principles that Messiah lived by. I said, he does what you have shown him. Well, these are what you showed him, Father, is what you show us. May we understand and learn them well to mimic what the righteousness is what is important and valuable to you in your eyes. We ask you to bless us, Father, as we continue to move forward in our faith and trust in you, through our past no longer making usefulness to us, Father, but rather our future. We ask you to bless us and keep us safe. We praise you in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel. Dot info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Halal dot info.